Blog Talk Radio. Hey, welcome Great. to Blog Talk Radio. I'm Dane Deutsch, and we're live here on Blog Talk Radio with the Ararat Connection. I'm your host coming to you with the Ararat Connection. This is going to be a very exciting show today. There's nothing more important these days than character, and more specifically, character-driven leadership. And yet it seems that less and less people are focused on how to develop and use those leadership skills. So the topic today on our podcast is how effective leaders shape company culture. Today we have Andrea Olson as our guest. She's the author of a book called No Disruptions, The New Future for Mid-Market Manufacturing. Andrea Olson is inspiring and educating industrial business leaders on how to transform their outlook and approach to marketing, technology, and communications to operate more efficiently and increase profitability. And we all need more profits, right? Andrea's 19-year field-tested background proves unique, provides unique, applicable approaches to creating leaner, more effective, technology-driven, customer-facing operations. She's a four-time ADA award winner. She began her career at a tech startup and led the strategic marketing efforts at two global industrial manufacturers. Andrea is the CEO of Pragmatic, spelled P-R-A-G-M-A-D-I-K, an operational strategy consultancy, and also the director of the Midwest Manufacturing Business Coalition, a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to the advancement of mid-market manufacturing in the United States. Andrea's most recent book, No Disruptions, provides manufacturing leaders an easy educational read on how to increase revenue generation through marketing, branding, and effective technology implementation. In addition to writing, consulting, and coaching, she's plenty busy. Andrea speaks to leaders and industry organizations around the world on operational strategies to discover new sources of revenue and savings. Well, welcome, Andrea. Good morning. Oh, thank you, Dane. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, we're excited to have you here and to be able to share with the audience some of the things that that you have come to understand uh, and and shared with us in your book as well called No Disruptions. First of all, can you tell us a little bit more about how you're helping manufacturers with that marketing, the branding, and the leadership in their organizations? Why, sure. You know, well, many times, especially mid-market manufacturers, really struggle with those soft skills, those things that are not as black and white as the production side of the house. And so when we talk about marketing, leadership, um, and things on those uh, lines within their organization, it's about finding really what the core challenge is. Uh, Sometimes organizations come to us and say they have a challenge with sales. They just need to increase their sales. And oftentimes that can be backed up into the fact that there is no marketing strategy or that they're not very diversified. Uh, or downstream, they have a lot of challenges with processing orders or engaging customers. And this has really built up attrition over a period of time. So what we try to do is identify really the core problem and build out from that versus making a short-term solution or maybe a tactical marketing investment that really has no immediate return. Sure. So, So in this particular instance, you know, when we're talking about leadership in those companies, you know, how can we best define leadership, especially with all the changes in technology, the manufacturing challenges and all that out there? How can you help some of those leaders that are out there today to understand a little bit more about how we can actually practically apply that? 
Well, a lot of folks feel that leadership is this ambiguous thing or that it's only assigned to certain individuals in the organization that are deemed as leaders. The real truth of the matter is that leadership is a job for everyone in the organization. And you could say, well, I don't have any direct reports. I'm not a leader. That's not true. You're going to be working in groups. You're going to be working with other people. And there's times where you might have collaborative projects that someone needs to step up and take the lead. So leadership is inherent to every role within an organization. The difference in leadership at a higher level is that it's setting the standard for culture, behavior, and values throughout the organization. And the analogy I like to use is think of yourself as a parent. And uh, the intention is not to minimize you know, any employee and, and say that they are a child, but it is that I, you're establishing that appropriate mode of behavior and you are setting the standard for what is acceptable and unacceptable. And if you want to see performance out of employees in a way that's different, you need to be consistent and perform at a leadership level and set that example through your own actions. That's a really good point. So, and, and you know, one of the things that I think I shared with you at a recent conference you and I were both at, uh, Manufacturers Outreach Center in, um, in Menominee, Wisconsin, was Dr. John C. Maxwell's definition of leadership. Leadership being influence, nothing more and nothing less. And when you talk about culture, you know, I get pretty excited about that because I think most companies really don't think about how they have to work or develop their culture. And what I'm hearing you say there is the code of conduct in that culture actually helps to, uh, to, to help that company focus on how they can be more effective and efficient. And, of course, that's going to go to their bottom line profits in the end result. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. It's one of those things where you can boil it down to something very simple. You know, as a leader, if you delegate activities and you don't follow through, you don't hold people accountable to make deadlines and timelines, then the behavior will follow in suit. You know, those people will not make their timelines or deadlines, or they'll understand that that is flexible, right? So you're building in just a behavior in that culture saying, this is what we expect, and then you in kind as a leader do the same. If you say, I am going to give this to you on Friday, you ensure that that's either delivered on Thursday or on Friday. It is a mutual respect that you're giving employees as well as uh, upper management in the organization. And that's where people start really actually building and respecting leadership. Big thing is consistency. <laughs> consistency, yep. I think too often some people get started with things and then they never finish it because they just feel like they're not going to hit it. And I love that old saying that, hey, uh, better done than none, number one. But the second thing is that, that you, know, you just reminded me of is the fact that, hey, what doesn't get measured doesn't get done. And if we want that behavior to change or that culture to improve and we're going to work on it, we need some method of measuring that. How, how could we help people understand how they can measure that benefit to the culture? Any you know, I am, yeah, I, I, I am a big proponent of measurement and metrics. Uh, what I do feel, though, is that there has been a huge swing, especially with the advent of certain technologies, that now everything has to be measured. Every single component and aspect of any decision you make and anything you do, <clears throat> excuse me, happens to be something that now you have to have a body or a system or something in place to track. Now, this becomes a somewhat unreasonable over time 
and B, there are things that don't have to be tracked down to a microscopic level. So when we're talking about culture, we're talking about consistency, we're talking about leadership that sets the example for the rest of the organization through their own actions. Things that you can measure, you can simply do things like employee satisfaction surveys. You can simply do things like understanding what you might call employee happiness quotient. And you can go through and do whether that's qualitative, quantitative, an online survey where it's anonymous, it doesn't really matter. But establishing that baseline, understanding where frustrations are, and then adjusting your leadership style, and many times it's simply just operating processes. People get frustrated because something takes 10, 20, 30 steps when they know it should only take two. And that's also an aspect where it's not leadership, but it's leadership that listens to the feedback, identifies the challenge, and actually helps move that forward, whether independently or in collaboration with that employee to make that change. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, so that whole idea of being able to listen, I think, is a pretty important skill. And I know that sometimes uh, we actually use a term in the military called emerging leader. The person that's the quiet mouse, so to speak, in the corner of the room who doesn't say anything mm -hmm. but really has been listening and watching the whole time may have the best solution to cut costs or become more efficient or add something of value that's going to really take the, that culture to the next level. And yet, if the, if the leaders are not listening, then they may not hear that person or may not ask that person to come out and share that, and they may miss something that's incredibly important. And so right. it's important that leaders lead by example, but this emerging leader concept is, hey, everybody potentially has some input and value. And so I really like that idea that, uh, that you're talking about there. Maybe we can drive that home a little bit more in terms of when you say lead by example, Listening is one of those leadership by example so that others listen as well. But part of that mm -hmm. example would be allowing those that might be the quieter ones to actually step up into a leadership position and not be so focused on positional leadership. Yeah, Thoughts and that's that? a very, very good point. I think that most people naturally follow a path of least resistance. And then in addition to that, <laughs> when pressure's on, right, when you're trying to make numbers, when you're worried about your boss's opinion of you, et cetera, et cetera, now that pressure starts to concentrate further and you try to go to an immediate solution, right? So if you have a group of employees and you're talking about solving a problem and you have that one individual that always pipes up, then maybe it's because they have aspirations, maybe it's because they're highly engaged, you know, that, that's fantastic. But you do leave out the rest of the group that might be a little more reserved, a little more uh, nuanced in how they provide feedback. Uh, they also just might be nervous about providing feedback in a group setting. So as a leader, you have to be attuned, not just looking at your team as a bunch of bodies and a bunch of roles, but as, and kind of going back to that parent analogy, is that these are all people that are part of your family, right? And to get to know them and understand them as individuals, their personalities, and react to that beyond what you're trying to accomplish, beyond the task, beyond uh, the business side of things. So I, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm frequently engaged with uh, a variety of employees uh, actually across uh, international waters. 
And you have to really adapt your leadership style to different cultures, uh, different countries. And that's just at the very surface level. In the U.S., I would say that uh, my team was made up of a wide variety of folks uh, back in the past. Uh, there would be analytical people. There would be creative people. There would be very outgoing, uh, maybe on the sales side, if you will, uh, people, uh, extroverts, if you will. And each of those people required a different approach. Uh, some people you might want to pull into your office one-on-one -on -one after that meeting and say, hey, I know you've got some good ideas on this, but you didn't speak up in the meeting. I'd like to hear what your thoughts are because you can sense that they had an idea but didn't want to do it in that format. So it's a very, very psychologically driven and very interpersonally driven role in leadership. You know, the interpersonal relationship you're talking about there is very interesting because one of the things that I learned when I was running for state senate uh, at one time was a question that was asked of us during a debate. And they asked, what is the greatest resource in Northwest Wisconsin? And my opponent said the greatest resource was the people. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I thought, oh, that's a great response. I should be able to buy mm -hmm. right into that. Because one of the things I learned from John Maxwell is people are not a resource. Resources are to be used up, you know, like trees or timber or lumber and, uh, you know, uh, water and things that we grow, you know, kind of thing. But people are not a resource. They're your greatest asset. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I've seen in some of the manufacturing uh, environments where people are treated like a resource and not really treated as the greatest asset, meaning that they are part of that family. They are the ones that are actually creating and multiplying and growing and cultivating the culture in that environment. So mm -hmm. I hear what you say there. You know, it's, it's interesting because maybe there's not enough folks out there that are listening well enough to their teams, but also have never really put growing their culture or cultivating their culture as a primary goal. What do you think about that? Oh, I completely do you see agree. that. Uh, yes, I do. And I think that happens a lot in organizations that are pressed for resources. You know, you're wearing 15 different hats. You don't have the luxury or time to get to know your employees. You know, it's about getting things done. And this is really actually a huge negative because it becomes more of a sweatshop. You know, if you don't understand, if your immediate team, your employees, if you don't know simple things, who has children, who is married, who has um, a very far away with a long commute, you know, which ones live close by, you know, knowing these interpersonal soft things is incredibly important because it says, I understand you and value as an asset to the organization. To your point, you're not a resource that I can expend and replace. You're something that I want to invest in. And to invest in someone, you first have to get to know them, understand what their best skills are, understand what their interests are. You might have an employee that on the side at home really enjoys doing uh, analytics and, and research and, and data digging. But at work, their job is something else. And you might have a need come up where you say, gosh, I wish I had somebody that could really dig into this data and look at that. And you would have no idea that that employee is right under your nose if you didn't understand what they did. So a big thing that I, I think leadership can take advantage of is not only building that interpersonal relationship, but also 
building a catalog of what people's skill sets are outside of what their resume says. Are they, you know, very good uh, at creative and design? Are they very good at problem solving? You know, do they have a degree in something that they're actually not using today but would be valuable for their own career growth and the organization? So leadership goes beyond telling people what to do and saying, you go here and get this job done and then come back to me. That is much more of a transactional robotic relationship than actual leadership. Sure. Well, I can see where that would make a big difference. If you have a caring culture, you're probably going to have better listeners and people that are more moldable or coachable, if you will, that could actually help to to grow that culture and, and make it more effective in the long run. So very interesting. And, and talking about caring, Andrea, one of the things that, I, that many people out there may not know is that this week, actually, President uh, Trump actually signed uh, into... Um, I don't even remember what they call it necessarily, but he created this week and called it Character Counts Week. And Character Counts is an organization I've been ambassador for for a number of years, and it's based on six pillars of character, trustworthiness, respect, responsibility, fairness, caring, and citizenship, caring being one of those pillars. And so I think uh, too often we always think it's got to be about these hard, cold facts or technology or specifics when in reality caring is tough to measure except that people can feel whether someone else actually cares about them and that culture then has some some something other than objectivity that can that actually gets measured even though it might be just in an emotional bank account so to speak mm-hmm. and so um, you know I just want to remind folks out there that you know a caring leader one that's influencing those around them and listening is going to show that they care through their actions. Again, going back to what you said before, leading by example and caring can be one of those leadership traits that where they can lead by example because people can feel and sense whether or not they truly, um, genuinely and authentically care about them as a person. Like you said, hey, do I know that they have a long commute? Do I know what kind of house they live in? Are they having any kind mm-hmm. of struggles you know, outside of work right. where I can help them? You know, that kind of thing. Right. So. That empathy is really important in terms of building character and culture uh, go together. So very good. Right. Hey, one and other exactly thing I wanted that, to that bring... awareness. Oh, go I was going to say, actually, that awareness really trickles down to the workforce and performance, right? So if you're just looking at black and white numbers and simply performance, you know, there's, that's one thing. But if you understand that they actually work a second job and they're up till 2 in the morning to turn around and be at your location at 6 a.m., and once in a while they're a little draggy. Is it because they're not a good employee or is it because they're burning both ends of the candle? You know, and so sure. leadership really understands these personal challenges. You know, you can never help and shape or change an employee without understanding the nuances and background of that employee. And in addition, I think a lot of people go, okay, great. So tell me what are those leadership traits that I need to have? What do I need to do? And, you know, everyone is different. Everyone has their own personal style. Not everybody is very, uh, you know, friendly and soft and open. And on the other cases, some people are are very open, but, you know, a little less structured. Uh, So it, it has to be something that fits you. And I'd say the simplest way to start is to think back about anyone who was a leader to you in any capacity. That could be a parent 
that could have been a coach, that could have been a boss? And why do you think they were a great leader? And start looking at those traits and their activities and saying, those are the things I want to do and become. So you can use that as a simple, very easy template because it resonated with you. It was something that you already connected with. You could already see why they were a good leader based on some of the actions that they did. And you can mirror and mimic those actions as a starting point to build your leadership style. And, you know, one of the things that you reminded me of when you said that is that sometimes just being with your people is enough. You know, you oh, yeah. just being there, making yourself available, approachable is a key element to that. And you mentioned awareness. So I just want to kind of use that as a segue from this whole idea of being available and approachable to the fact that, hey, this month, a lot of people may not know this, but this month is actually Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And so uh, in your book, in Chapter 4, you talk about fear of change and you talk about cyber technology. And again, in mm-hmm. Chapter 7, you talk about fear, fear of technology um, <laughs> and, and cyber attacks. So I think that's very interesting. So maybe you can address that in the last five minutes or so that we have here together today um, to help folks understand that, yep, we've got the importance of caring and culture and so forth, but be able to keep that, that caring culture alive we have more than just the physical, hey, i got to meet the demands of the production today and so forth, but we have things outside of us that are working against us, and some of that deals with cyber technology itself, with change, but some of it also deals with uh, things that we can't control like cyber attacks. Thoughts mm-hmm. on that? Yeah. Yes, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, change is the big elephant in the room, you know, um, it's the thing that a lot of mid-market manufacturers, especially within, uh, you say, the front, ho- front of the house or, you know, front of the house operations side of the business, uh, actually, they struggle with, you know. They, they maybe started the business as an engineer, uh, an inventor, uh, and they understood how to make things. And so they were very good at developing a process, putting together a product, maybe patenting it, and then selling that product, and the company grew out of that. The rest of the business operations, whether we're talking about sales, marketing, uh, logistics, uh, customer service, accounting, all these different things, is something that maybe that, that leader was unfamiliar with. And so the things that people know and love and gravitate to are the things that they tend to. And everything else kind of goes by the wayside, right? So if we're talking about change, the hardest thing to do is change something that you're unfamiliar with, you're unsure of, and you don't know a lot about. So you don't know where to start and you don't know where to change. And that's why culture is so important because every leader, if you're at the top, you're the president and CEO, uh, you know, you might be very well versed, but it's unlikely that you are deeply understanding and knowledgeable about every functional area in the organization. And that's why you need a team to help identify and opportunities for process improvement, cost reduction, profitability, and all that is centered around change. As we have these new technologies come into play, there's things that people used to do on paper, people used to do with typewriters and faxes that now can be automatically entered into a database, and now that individual has a whole different role in the organization. So you need to have a culture that says, yes, we're open to new ideas, 
and we want to, to make change. And even if it's something that's not understood, that individual needs to know that they can do a pilot project. They can build a business case. They can have the opportunity to uh, try and fail because nothing ever is going to be a home run out of the park every single time, no matter what technology you're talking about. <laughs> right, you are there. I, I love how John Maxwell talks about, hey, we have to fail forward to really be able to grow. And right, too often right. people, with all the anxiety that's there, with the fear of change, kind of get frozen. You know, they become unable to be able to move ahead. And uh, so if you're more free to fail, you have less fear of change, less anxiety, and so you're more capable and able to spend more time with your people and try things, um, which will lead to more creativity, and hopefully that, that uh, creates that culture that allows people to feel uh, good about what they're doing at work and that kind of thing. So, Well, in this last minute or so, I just want to just bring up this whole idea. We talked about the fear of change, but then there's a fear of technology from the perspective uh, that there are cyber attacks happening out there. You know, what are you mm -hmm. seeing with that, with the, the manufacturers and, and your customers? You know, it, it's, it's a topic that I think a lot have been very concerned about, and especially with the new government, governmental regulations in regards to being a government contractor. So, you know, in regards to technology, you know, a lot of these folks are really kind of behind the curve. They actually have extremely old systems. They might not even be accessible online. The likelihood of somebody knowing that they're there and accessing their customer database is slim. On the other hand, these older ERP, if you will, systems have no security. So I've seen some where uh, customer orders are taken by credit card, and those credit card numbers are typed into a simple data field that is not encrypted, password protected, anything. So <laughs> technically speaking, any employee can get onto the system, dig into the system, and find any customer's credit card number that's been ever provided. And now, we've seen a lot of that kind of um, vulnerability like with Equifax lately. Right, so right. I think that's a great segue and maybe we can do a follow-up call together on just the whole idea of cyber attacks or the cyber vulnerabilities and that kind of thing, because I think you have a, a really important uh, lead-in from Chapter 7 on that. So is that possible? Maybe we can do a future uh, podcast on that, Andrea? Most definitely. All right. Well, I want to make sure that folks know how to get a hold of you and uh, – and give and be able to connect with you. So if you can, just give us some of your access information real quick, and uh, we'll let people know how they can connect with you. Why, sure. Uh, you know, I'm fully transparent. You know, in the spirit of leadership. Uh, so my, excuse me, my personal cell phone number and email address is on the Pragmatic website. Uh, that's p r a g m as in mother a d i k dot com. In addition, we are on Twitter at Pragmatic as well as LinkedIn. And feel free to connect with my profile on LinkedIn, which is under Andrea Olson, and that's O-L-S-O-N. And we do send out uh, actually biweekly uh, in-house written articles as well as best practices. So that's something just to kind of keep in the loop with as well. 
All right. Well, if this podcast has piqued your interest out there while you're while you're listening today, in terms of leadership or manufacturing, soft skills, uh, culture, you can learn more about that at our Leadership Management and Development and Character Company, or you can simply call me, Dane Deutsch, at 877-327-6385, or find us on the web at lmdc.us. We are your partner to help you reach your full potential in life by leading with character first. Start your leadership journey today. This has been Dane Deutsch and Andrea Olson on Blog Talk Radio at the Ararat Connection. Until our next journey on the Ararat Connection, this is Dane Deutsch. Keep leading with character first. Smile on.